Tonight's show is being sponsored by two outstanding friends of the show, SolidFire and Thousand Eyes. SolidFire provides industry-leading flash storage scalability and quality of service for cloud providers with deep integration into OpenStack, CloudStack, and VMware. Thousand Eyes delivers end-to-end visibility of your network and application performance, all via an intuitive SaaS consumption model. Take a look at both these companies, good people, excellent products, and we're happy to have them as sponsors. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Cloudcast. Um, Tonight we have Andy um, Piper. Andy Piper is developer advocate over at Cloud Foundry. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, um, I'm at, uh, currently at the QCon conference, so fingers crossed we get the audio quality good on this uh, on this chat because you never know with conference Wi-Fi. But uh, yeah, no, things are going really well. Thanks. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Yeah, as long as as long as there's like not a, uh, a big like Bitcoin uh, dust up or something that everybody right. jumps on the internet, uh, we should be good <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Aaron, I got to ask you before we jump into this: Why were you swearing at Surrey this morning? What, what, what could have possibly happened that you got so pissed off at? Your <laughs> so, I was in the car driving to the car dealership to drop off my car for service, and I was one of those things I had to remember something. So, I was like, I, I always do a email Evernote to Siri, and it just went horribly wrong, and I started cursing at it, and then it literally it came back and said, "Oh, I I will forget you said that," or something like that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, Siri was talking back to me this morning. <laughs> well, good. So obviously, so there's a there's obviously a developer somewhere that has been tasked with dealing with with anger and frustration, and that actually leads in well to to what we're going to talk about today, which is we're going to talk about developers. We're going to get back into talking about PaaS and and uh, and Andy. Unlike unlike sort of evangelist for PaaS, who you know we've had some folks who come on. You're actually you're a developer. You're a developer advocate. You're always out with developers at, mm-hmm. you know, hackathons and events. And so, so give us a little bit of your background because it's a bunch in open source in a lot of different places. And then, and then what are you doing, you know, as, a, as an advocate for Cloud Foundry? Yeah, sure. So um, I spent uh, kind of 10 years of my career at IBM uh, as a software consultant. And towards the end of that period, um, and, and I love IBM, I had a great time there, but they're very good at top-down selling and, um, you know, um, taking execs for, 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 for dinner and, and playing golf and stuff. And, and they, I, I kind of found back in that, that period that they weren't focusing too much on the users of their software, the developers. Um, I was, you know, helping companies to implement integration systems and, and I would typically go in uh, and somebody may have sold some software and quite oftentimes the developers would be kind of, Sitting there, cross our you know arms folded, um, you know not getting why this stuff is cool or useful or whatever. Um, so I kind of myself as a developer started to, I guess, um, become a lot more um, uh, enthusiastic about you know talking to developers directly and showing them how things work. Uh, and I guess in my last couple of years at IBM, I became um, kind of an unofficial advocate for a protocol they uh, they had called MQTT. So I'm actually still. Um, involved with that protocol. Um, there's, a, there's an Eclipse project that I co-lead. Um, so yeah, I've been involved with the open source uh, community for, for a very long time and, and, and that specific community for a while. Um, and then I got contacted by a gentleman who was at the time at VMware uh, where Cloud Foundry was kind of being uh, incubated and started. Uh, and they kind of said, well, look, we, we really like what we've seen of you speaking and talking. So so come help us uh, talk to developers about this Cloud Foundry thing. It's open source. It was unusual at the time 
for VMware to be doing that kind of thing, although they invested in Spring Source and RabbitMQ and other technologies. Um, and as you know, as, as a listener to, to the Cloudcast, we'll, um, I'm sure know um, Cloud Foundry and Spring and RabbitMQ eventually got spun out into this new company called Pivotal, where I'm working right now. Um, so that's that's really my background. Um, I I joined to, to talk Cloud Foundry uh, to developers. Uh, I the really interesting thing for me while we were at VMware was that it was wasn't just targeting the VMware infrastructure. It will run on Amazon. It will run on uh, it run on OpenStack. And actually, we've now got sort of uh, alpha beta quality um, deployments on things like Google Compute Engine and CloudStack and, and other environments as well, which is really exciting. Um, and I would tend to go and see customers as a VMware employee, as a developer advocate. Uh, and they'd be kind of, you know, again, <laughs> arms folded while well, you're just here to sell us more VMware licenses. And for me, you know, I absolutely joined because I was excited about this new uh, open source movement and, and stuff we were doing with with cloud platforms that kind of assume that infrastructure as a service should be a choice that you make. Um, and above that, you know, you want a consistent platform, which is what Cloud Foundry is all about. So that's really what I, I try to do is kind of show people the advantages of actually having that consistent platform. Uh, help them with their questions. You know, how do I get my app uh, running? What do I need to think about? There's a lot of stuff really that starts to get up to the architectural level as well as the, you know, the code change type level. Um, but yeah, that's that's really my background and what I do as a developer advocate. Well, and, and I find this so to turn this into developer advocate slash kind of community uh, evangelist kind of roles. Hmm. We're, we're, what we're seeing a lot in the industry, I really think, going on is exactly, you hit the nail on the head because, again, somebody else coming from 10 years at IBM, a, a very different sales motion and a very different way to get into environments these days. And getting into, you know, at the lower levels, you know, probably the lower you go in the organization, stereotypically uh, the more introverted everyone is. And and you have this this community popping up and, and actually these roles popping up that are the you know, how do you, how can you talk and interact with a, a you know, sometimes very introverted kind of community and relate to them, which is something, you know, a lot of business people just quite frankly they can't do. And so you're that liaison between, you know, the the, the tech heads and the business. And, and, and my friends, my friends over at uh, Redmonk, the analyst firm, um, James Governor and uh, mm-hmm. Steve O'Grady and Donnie Burkhardt will, will often, you know, say they've written a, a, a book, I think, with this title. You know, the developers are the new kingmakers because, especially with the rise of kind of appification, um, that that is a really powerful trend. And actually, I think it actually speaks really well to to, to PaaS and uh, as a, as a as a category in cloud. People, you know, when you get it, when you get a computer now, you you install apps on it. You don't install apps apps. Where has that come from? Well, that's come from mobile. We all understand on our mobile devices the idea of an app, um, a little little block of function, right? And so um, if you're a developer and you come up with a great idea for an app, right, something that delivers function to people, which is what we're here for as, as technologists, then um, then you can be the new, the new kingmaker. You can be the next Instagram or Snapchat. I, you know, it's, it's very unlikely, let's be honest. There's so many people trying to make a buck that way. But, um, you know, developers are actually where a lot of the interesting stuff happens and the interesting choices and, and technology-driving dri- choices are made. So I think that kind of grassroots influence is, is really important. And actually, I'm quite interested to see. I'm at, I'm at uh, the QCon London conference this week, and it's run by the same folks that run the GoTo conference uh, tracks as well around Europe. And this is my second or third time here, and I'm, I'm seeing this year for the first time IBM and CA and TIBCO and all of the classic, you know, enterprise software 
folks starting to try and appeal to this audience because you know they recognize that if they're seen as cool or their technology is seen as useful by that constituency of folks then you start to get that upwards influence in the organization and you start to make some really you know practical technology choices as well quite often so i, I find that an interesting trend as you say that there, there is this wave of, of change that's going on yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're describing this and I'm, and I'm thinking about, and Aaron, I think you can relate to this, like <clears throat> the, the interaction that sort of comes to mind is like, we'll, let, let's say for example, Aaron comes over to my house for a dinner and him and his wife will come over and, and their kids will come over and, you know, there's, there's about two minutes of formality of, hey kids, how's it going? And then all of our kids will go off and run off and the adults kind of sit there and do adult things and we, you know, we're, it's, it's a mature thing and there's manners and so forth. And about an hour later, the kids will come running downstairs and they'll go, you got to see this thing we did. And it'll be a, uh, you know, they built something in the playroom where they, they, and you go, how did, how did you guys do that? How did you think of doing that? (laughs) And they just go, we just did it. Like, because they don't have any necessarily constraints. And I, and I think, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, that's a little bit like, you know, I would assume a lot of what Andy deals with, if he were to get pulled into a meeting that is a traditional VMware kind of thing, it's. You know, people are going to go off and talk formalities and budgets and project cycles. And then Andy could probably walk off with the developers and go, here, uh, start hacking on, on Code yeah. Cloud Foundry. And, you know, by the by the next day, it's like, hey, we, we did this thing. And people are like, whoa, wh- where did that come from? That, that's pretty, pretty much um, the way I like it. Uh, at least, uh, you know, it doesn't always happen that way, but that's yeah. pretty much definitely the way I like it. And it's, I've had some fantastic experiences um, around the Cloud Foundry community, actually, um, where through things like being on Twitter, I've, I've had people contact me. I've had them, they've popped into the office and, and hung out with us. Pivotal, we're very collaborative. We've got space for people to come and pair with us. Um, and we've had some fantastic you know, experiences at that technology level. I leave the sales guys to go have the, you know, the, the money conversations because I'm not, you know, that's not my, not my bag. But um, it has been, I have had some great experiences. And just to, to circle back to the other very first point you made about kind of advocates and evangelists and so on, um, I actually joined the team and, and we were described as technology uh, developer advocates and and i know it sounds kind of like hair, hair splitting but i really like um that title because I, and I take this very seriously as a developer advocate because as an advocate i'm advocating my technology or my company or my software to you but i'm also a developer advocate therefore i'm the advocate for you as the developer to listen and say and if you're saying you know hey your api sucks or you know what about this feature I'm your representative to go back to our engineers and or, or the, the rest of the community in Cloud Foundry's case often and say, well, what do, what do we think about this? Can, can we give this guy a voice? Can we make sure this opinion is heard? Um, and I actually, as I say, I personally, as a kind of, as a, as a passion, I, I take that seriously. Um, but it does sound like it's, you know, a bit, bit hair splitting. But yeah, I, I no, it's, it's think- but it's uh, input versus output. You know, advocate is more taking a lot of input. Evangelism is more. I, I mean, one of the guys. Right. Yeah, I mean, evangelists, uh, and I, I've got lots of friends who are technology and uh, evangelists, and I think they do, they do a great job, and I don't have anything against them. I just find the title a little bit weird because it kind of implies you're going to lay your hands on someone and they will believe you. <laughs> um, and I, I'm also, I, to be honest with you, I also, when, when somebody at, at IBM started to describe me as evan- an evangelist, one of, the, one of my friends there said, well, you know what happened to John the Baptist? So um, uh, <laughs> it's always kind of informed my thinking about the difference between the two, to be honest. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about um, Cloud Foundry and the foundation and all kind of the latest things that have happened. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing um, 
six months. So let me rewind a little bit. We had um, we had our platform conference, which is our kind of first ever community meetup conference back in uh, what was it September October in California, and since then things have just kind of gone um, gone insane. Um, we had that we held that conference kind of jointly with IBM and a bunch of other companies. Uh, around that time, we announced that we were forming this uh, this community advisory board because there's been this concern question over time that has said, you know, well look, Pivotal VMware has had all the committers, all the control, um, you know, it's, it's their project. And uh, and that's been true to an extent, but we've been working through this community advisory board with companies like IBM and Active State and, uh, and, and SAP and NTT and others to, um, you know, have more of a community role in terms of informing where things go. Um, we've opened up much of the conversation that used to be internal to Pivotal onto the well, in fact, all of the conversation used to be internal to Pivotal onto the mailing list so that, you know, our partners can share with us as well. Um, and really the foundation was the next stage in that. Um, we've announced that it's going to have a similar um, governance structure to the Eclipse Foundation. It hasn't all been uh, hammered out yet. We'll be, I think, towards the end of the second half kind of putting out some kind of uh, draft structure for people to, to comment on. Um, but it's all being run through the community advisory board, so it's kind of a transitional thing that's happening. Uh, and the idea of the foundation is really, you know, similar to other organizations like Eclipse, like OpenStack, to actually make, basically say, look, this is a, this is a community project. Um, it is for lots of people to, to have inputs and, and ultimately um, have the ability to commit code themselves and, and get involved. Um, so that's the direction, really. It's, it's been really exciting. We've seen, um, and again, I'm, I'm not, uh, I do work for Pivotal, and I do obviously therefore have a, a vested interest in, in Pivotal's own Cloud Foundry product, which is called Pivotal CF, because Cloud Foundry is a term is, is kind of a protected, or we've agreed is protected as a term. We shouldn't vendors shouldn't be using that that those two words as a, as a product name. Um, so we have Pivotal Web Services, our hosted version that runs on Amazon, and we have Pivotal CF, our, our behind the firewall private version that, that currently only runs on vSphere, but will run on other things in the future. But actually, the thing that's really excited me in the last six months is things like IBM coming out with their Bluemix um, Cloud Foundry implementation last week. Um, they've, that's a hosted, another hosted version they run on their software technology. Um, we've got, over here in Europe, where I kind of live, um, I've got uh, my friends over at Any9s in Germany because uh, the, they actually started up because, you know, in Germany in particular, but in Europe in general, there's obviously a lot of concern about cloud security um, and data privacy. Uh, and I would go to customers and say, hey, try out Pivotal Web Services uh, or what used to be called cloudfoundry.com, but we've moved away from that to make that uh, more of an independent thing again. And, uh, and people would say, well, no, that's, that runs on Amazon in the U.S., and the data so databases are all in the U.S., and there's no way I'm putting my, my private data app on that kind of infrastructure for whatever reason. So Anynine's actually started up um, to have a 100% European hosted PaaS, and they've based that on Cloud Foundry. They've recently actually blogged as well about migrating it um, live, essentially, uh, with I think an hour's downtime or 40 minutes downtime, running the whole PaaS on VMware, on vSphere, across the running on OpenStack, um, which again, I think speaks a lot to the power of having this kind of infrastructure agnostic platform as a service layer on which you run applications, because it lets you in the future actually decide for economic or technological or political or whatever reasons you might have, you can actually switch out that infrastructure, that that new hardware. I mean, we, we talk of the infrastructure as a service as the new hardware for the cloud, essentially. And we talk about platforms as a service or Cloud Foundry as the operating system layer for that hardware. Um, that's very much the way that we think about things. And I, I've been really pleased to see that come to fruition through organizations like 
you know, uh, any nines demonstrating that it's possible to do that. So I, I, there's been loads happening. There's, there's, there's way too much to talk about in one question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so walk, walk, walk us through that. So, so there's, a, I mean, there, there's a lot there, but let's let's just sort of walk through kind of a basic thing. Obviously, um, you know, part of having all of these these components in place is you know people people kind of want to see how much is the community driving stuff, how much are you know vendors driving stuff. But but let's just talk about like applications. It, in all reality, if, if I were to, let's say I started off on, on uh, uh, you know, Pivotal Web Services, you know, you, you yeah. go, you, you can sign up via credit card or use the free mm-hmm. account. I, I, I write an application as simple or complex as I want. In theory, or, or hope, hopefully like in reality, how, how complicated, what's the mechanism if I said, hey, you know, I am, I am a German-based business and I, and I want to move it over to, to the one over there. Like, what's the, what's the moving mechanism? What's the kind of, you know, pick it up and, and move it mechanism and, yeah. and how much, you know, how much do you then have to, to sort of think about like what's under the covers and what would I change and so forth? Yeah. I mean, the goal for Cloud Foundry has always been um, as far as possible to enable you to deploy apps that, um, you know, haven't been um, specially written against a specific API. So um, we've got no no required APIs that you, you, you use. You essentially write your Java or Node or Ruby or whatever app you want, PHP, Python, whatever, locally. Um, there's only a couple of things you need to do to be cloud-aware, and those are you know, it's general good hygiene in terms of writing cloud-aware applications. Um, always look up in the environment, you know, the ports to listen on, the uh, connections to databases, that, that kind of stuff is stored in the environment that's visible to your app. Um, so essentially, if assuming you've got a running, let's say, a running Java or, or Ruby app or something like that running on Pivotal Web Services today, um, and I have done this myself, I can, I've shown, take that same app, you, you simply at the command line, wait, Pivotal Web Services, you simply change the target to be the, the Any9's um, API um, endpoint, uh, and then push again. Now, the only complication, uh, and I'm well, um, it's a well-founded complication, is that if you do need databases, for example, data services of some kind, then you want to be assured or you want to check that your target cloud has um, equivalent functions. So, for example, if Pivotal Web Services offers through the marketplace um, a, a Postgres database uh, and your app going to also has some kind of Postgres database or SQL-aware database available to you. So, so that's where I think over time we'll start to see differentiation between some of the Cloud Foundry PaaS Providers, and we're already seeing that with, for example, IBM's Bluemix. They've obviously enabled their Cloud Foundry implementation for loads of their middleware, so you, you know, can access, I don't know, DB2 or MQ series or something like that. Um, and whereas our our cloud may have, I don't know, Rabbit MQ instead and uh, and Postgres, let's say. So there are some differences, but typically it really is straightforward to. Sim- and, and if you're not using any of those data services, there is no complication. It is simply CF target at the command line to change from from api.run.pivotal.io to api.any9s.de or whatever their endpoint is, and then CF push again and you're done. If you're actually moving, you want to obviously back up data and, and carry that kind of persistent stuff with you, then clearly there would be some other steps to, to run a job to, to archive that. But otherwise, and I've done this when I started playing with Bluemix last week, I, I was you know, in targets and pushing apps to Pivotal and then to IBM. It was It was brilliant. Is that simple? Very nice. So it's because it, that, that's the thing that, that people kind of get into. I mean, I, that was that was one of the promises of OpenStack is, you know, all these clouds will run OpenStack and you'll be able to, you know, just deploy to any of them. And, and sort of in the reality is we see that 
this variant is different than that variant and how they do networking is completely different. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's what people kind of ultimately sort of want to, and it'll be interesting more and more the way that we can demonstrate how that happens. And, and if you if you look at what you've just described about OpenStack, and I and I like OpenStack, I think it's great technology. Um, a lot of the things you've just described about you know incompatibilities, for example, with networking and other things like that. Again, I, this is my this is my analogy, right? In the eighties and nineties, we used to go down to the computer store, right? And, and and inevitably, it came with Windows installed. Let's put that to one side for a moment. Mm-hmm. See what you got in that beige box was you got a CPU, you have got some storage, and then you know later on in the nineties you got a network card, right? See, and that's what IaaS is, right? You get virtualized CPU um, storage uh, and and network. Um, having said that, there are fourteen different flavors, right? So there is EC2's flavor of networking, and there's OpenStack's flavor of networking. What's the thing that has enabled um, computers to continue through a period when we've had you know Intel and ARM and other chip vendors fighting it out and all these different network vendors fighting it out. Well, there's obviously protocol consistencies, which is nice on, on the network level. But actually, if you look at something like Linux, Linux started off you know, specifically for x86, and then it got ported to all of these other processes. And Linux itself is essentially the, the operating system which abstracts away, as an operating system, all of the hardware differences. And that's why Linux has, you know, been ported to the, the big, you know, symmetric multiprocessing mainframes and the uh, uh, and things like that, and also down to down to little tiny embedded devices because it can be it can be changed. Enables, and this is another reason why I got really excited when I first first saw it and started looking at it, is by having this this abstraction layer across the different infrastructures. You know, we basically say, well, that's just the hardware, that's just the compute resource, the infrastructure resource we need um, as an application developer, I shouldn't have to care whether I'm running on EC2 or Google Compute Engine. I just want to write my app, and I want it to run in the cloud, and I want to be able to scale it. Um, that's, that's the expectation, much in the same way as if I write a bit of software today, I want it to run on my, I potentially want it to run on my laptop. Um, so let's, for, for, for folks who, you know, maybe, maybe watch from the outside, or even, even you know, developers, but you know, that, that work in certain frameworks. So give us, give us sort of what I'll call forking for dummies, right? So James Waters, who, who obviously leads Cloud Foundry for Pivotal, likes to run around with a shirt that says, uh, <laughs> says like fork you or yeah. you know, something along those lines. And, you know, it's, it's this uh, sort of joke about there's in the open source world, there's, there's times when there's goodness in forking and there's times when, you know, maybe bad things can happen. Yeah. Give us give us the sort of forking for dummies and, and kind of how it relates to the Cloud Foundry projects and communities because um, there's mm. there's been a little bit of that so far, right? Things like like active state and staccato and yeah uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, you, you're right. I mean, and, and and I think what you're beginning to see is people are beginning to see things like staccato and bluemix and any nines as you know different. Um, different flavors of Cloud Foundry, um, essentially much as Ubuntu and uh, Red Hat and other things are different flavors of Linux in a sense. Um, they all run the same Cloud Foundry core code. So they're all Cloud Foundry, what we call V2 API compatible. So I can use the same command line tool to, to deploy to all of them. Um, but yeah, there are differences and there have been um, different vendors who've come and, and added their own in some cases. Uh, Staccato, for example, has replaced our, our Warden container technology with Docker, and, and actually if you look at what we're discussing at the Cloud Foundry community level now and the community advisory board, we're actually looking at um, closer integration with Docker for the Cloud Foundry project as a whole. So so there's some exciting stuff there. Uh, in terms of, Uh-oh. as we've had companies like Act- ActiveState join the, uh, join the group, um, 
we're starting to see a lot more coherence. Can you, can you guys hear me? Okay, sorry. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Good. I thought I thought I heard a, a funny noise. Um, yeah. So um, we actually now have a, a, a fairly well defined process. We have on GitHub, and GitHub is where you know the, the forking goodness happens. Um, and actually, GitHub's the, the organisation that really made forking cool, right? And especially assuming that you're going to uh, contribute back into the into the project that you forked from, that's that that, that it, all, it all works out really nicely, very very, very typically. So we've now got um, three organisations on GitHub. We have a Cloud Foundry organisation, which is where all the calls for Cloud Foundry live. Then we have um, uh, something at the other end of the scale called, called Cloud Foundry Community, where essentially anybody can become a member of that organisation and start a project or bring a project in. Um, and then in, the, in between those, we have Cloud Foundry Incubator. And Cloud Foundry Incubator is where the community advisory board every month or so kind of reviews and looks at the projects in Cloud Foundry um, community or indeed from anywhere else uh, and says, well, actually, we think these are mature and we would like to move them over, over the course of time into the, into the Cloud Foundry core. Uh, so they're going to live in the incubator for a while. We've kind of blessed them as on their way through. The big one that, that we recently announced, uh, I think two weeks ago, um, was Iron Foundry. Now, Iron Foundry is one of those early um, forks or um, variations of the Cloud Foundry code to enable uh, Windows .NET applications to run. So Jared uh, Ray over at Tier 3, he's now at CenturyLink, one of our partners there, um, started Iron Foundry as a project. He came up with this, uh, this great technology to enable you to run .NET apps in a, what, what is another, otherwise a Linux-based uh, PaaS. And... Uh, and so that's, that's mature code. We like it. We'd like it to be part of the core. So it's now you'll now go into the Cloud Foundry Incubator uh, organization and see it there. So we've got a, we've got a process. It's, it's taken you know, two years. Uh, I've been doing this two and a half years. It's taken a couple of years to evolve to, to, to get to this point, to actually start to have the conversations with companies like IBM and uh, Active State and CenturyLink to say, we want to do this together. We want to do it well. Um, and we want a process, and, and now you're starting to see, through through the community calls, through the mailing lists, that process really emerge, um, and that's really welcome. As someone who works uh, on open source projects myself, although on, on much smaller scales than something as big and complex as Cloud Foundry, I'm, I'm really pleased to see this really um, structured approach starting to, to come through. Every month um, or two weeks, uh, every month actually, to to actually talk with you know nominated appointees from. IBM and NTT and Verizon and all the other people in the community advisory board. Um, talk about the direction of the project, talk about the status of late current pull requests from the community, those kind of things. The foundation, but 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 at the moment, every 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 contributor to Cloud Foundry signs a contributor license agreement that assigns all of the uh, the rights to Pivotal as the kind of shepherd of the of the project. Um, and this actually is the same way that Pivotal and VMware and Spring Source have worked with things like Spring and RabbitMQ and, and, and Redis and other things anyway. So that's not unusual. Um, what's new is, is the foundation. Uh, the foundation will be a non-profit. It will be funded by um, a number of members. So uh, I'm going to have to open up my web page and remind myself so I don't put my foot in my <laughs> mouth and forget one of our important partners. Um, it's, I mean, it's a lot of names. So, I mean, it's everybody. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a big list. Right? SAP, so people, SAP and Rackspace and yeah, folks that yeah, maybe so, wouldn't. So we've got we, we've got platinum sponsorship, um, and that's a certain financial commitment um, every year. So Pivotal, IBM, HP, 
EMC, Rackspace, SAP, and VMware are at platinum level. And then we've got Active State and CenturyLink currently as gold sponsors. I know we've got a lot of uh, other organizations that um, you'll see in the community if you pop on the mailing list. Um, they're already talking with us about, about um, joining as well. Um, so they're basically um, the sponsors. They're, they're, they're you know, down for a financial commitment and also a, a time commitment and resource commitment uh, in terms of being involved in the community, involved in the, in the, in the mailing lists and, uh, and so on. Uh, and ultimately, that's where all of the, the the foundation will be, where all of the kind of IP rights are assigned. So it's exactly the same as the Eclipse Foundation in that sense. I, I work as a committer on an Eclipse project. Um, as people bring code to Eclipse, they have to say, well, actually, this will be under the Eclipse public license. I'm not saying there'll be a different license for Cloud Foundry. We, we have everything and we always have had everything under the Apache uh, license, um, so I don't know whether there's any intent to change that at the moment or come up with some new license. I don't think there's personally. I don't think there's a need to. Um, all we've said is that the, the the foundation's governance, when it forms sometime this year, will be inspired by the Eclipse Foundation. Um, we'll, we'll have a review, community review of of the actual structure and governance before we form the foundation. Um, but yeah, the idea is that it, it will take the yeah the IP rights. Uh, and all the legal issues to a, a third-party op- uh, open-source and non-profit foundation and give everyone an equal say, essentially. Does that, does that make sense? Does that answer the question? Yep, absolutely Good. does. Good. Now, so one last question, and we'll kind of wrap things up after this. Mm. So so to kind of dig into product just a little bit, wh- mm. what is the concept of a build pack? And mm. tell us a little bit about why we care about build packs. Sure. So... With uh, Cloud Foundry, uh, when you uh, set it up, you essentially end up with a bunch of uh, virtual resource. Um, in fact, these are containers running on, on, on Linux virtual machines or potentially Windows ones in the future. Um, and those have no personality. And what I mean by no personality, they're just a raw Ubuntu Linux software. And there's no runtimes in there at all. So in order to run an application, depending on the language you're running in, Let's say you're Java, you're going to need a, a JRE, uh, JDK. You're going to need a, potentially an application server container. You're going to potentially need a load of uh, jar file dependencies. Equally, if you're a Node application, you need a Node JavaScript runtime, and you may need some NPM modules. So what we have to do as we deploy the application is get that runtime and combine it with the application in order to produce an, an executable stack, if you like. So the build pack does that. So the build pack is a set of scripts that are... Uh, that, that exist to to set up an environment for your application. The build pack technology came from Heroku. Heroku, as everyone knows, or many people will, will know, is uh, as another Paz, um, arguably one of the first platforms as a service alongside kind of Google App Engine. Um, and Heroku started off as a, a Ruby-only platform, and then, of course, they wanted to su- start supporting non-Ruby apps, so they needed a way of of modifying the environment to, to actually install these things. So it, it, the build pack is simply a set of three scripts that, set, that check the type of app you're deploying, uh, grab the runtime and, and any dependencies and frameworks you need to run the app, uh, and package it all up so that you can run the app. Heroku actually open sourced the specification for their build packs. And, and as a result, what happened was lots of people contributed. So you know, let's say they started off, and I don't know this, with a, with a Ruby and a, and a Java build pack. Over time, because these these scripts were defined and, and specified, people came along and said, hey, I want to run a Haskell app, or I want to run an Erlang app, or whatever. What do I need to do to, to do that? So they built all these build packs. There's a catalog of build packs for originally for Heroku that, that conformed to this structure. Cloud Foundry, in, when we moved to version 2 um, about 18 months ago, inherited that technology 
and therefore we kind of took advantage of the fact that there was already quite a big catalogue of these build packs around. Um, actually, a bunch of other uh, platforms started to use it, Flynn, which is based uh, purely on Docker rather than kind of a, a pure, you know, a full infrastructure and orchestration play. Uh, they're a lightweight PaaS open source one, and they're also using the Heroku build packs because it's a good way of kind of decoupling the application and the infrastructure and the runtime. Um, so really, this is, yeah, the build packs provide that runtime layer. And if you look at the way that, for example, IBM has been able to say, well, you know what, we're gonna, we, we want our developers to run WebSphere apps on, on here. They've taken our Java build pack and modified it so that instead of installing the OpenJDK, which is the one that Pivotal um, installs, uh, they want the IBM JRE. And then instead of using Tomcat, which is what Pivotal installs, they want WebSphere application server. So it's pretty straightforward to modify these things and, and actually get your own runtime and your own environment set up. So it's effectively the, a library of environment images yeah, that you can pull of. from. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Awesome. Well, I think we're kind of at that time limit. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Okay. So, so Andy, where can everyone find out more about you? Okay, so you can find about more, more about me on Twitter. I am at Andy Piper, or you can go to my website, which is andypiper.co.uk. And uh, I would really encourage people, if you're interested in Cloud Foundry, check out cloudfoundry.com and .org. Um, .org is really where we're starting to take uh, all of the community stuff again. Uh, we've got the documentation over there. Uh, we've got a link to the latest kind of engineering uh, Twitter feed. Um, you'll find links to the mailing lists and, and how to get involved um, with the projects. And uh, I'm all about the community. I'd love to see more people uh, asking questions, getting involved, and contributing code. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. All right. So if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at TheCloudCastNet or on the web at TheCloudCast.net where you can find links to everything CloudCast. Thanks for listening.